Fearless Conversations, the Servants and Doves Podcast with Pablo Frasini. Um, difference okay sometimes, and uh, it's not just gonna, it's not gonna be this format right here. What I want to present to you guys, what I wanted to share with everybody was uh, the talk that I was able to do this past weekend, last Sunday at Sunshine Church in New Mexico. I had the privilege of going down there and um, just sharing my heart with them. Uh, That is Pastor Jason David's church, who, by the way, is going to be on in probably maybe three, four weeks, about a month. Uh, We're going to be doing a question and answer. And so if you guys have uh, any questions you would want to submit, by all means, please do that. Email them to me. You could get the, uh, let me show you really quick how to go about and uh, email something. Might as well do the housekeeping. So on the website right here, as always, um, you could uh, get the, listen, I want to encourage folks to check these out, the, the gospel cards. If you click there, these are all the different gospel cards I have. Um, I also have them in Spanish, the ones with the little red bar right up here. Those are in Spanish, great little uh, witnessing tools. You could leave those behind wherever you go, hand them out. Um, they're business card size. Uh, they could even fit in your wallet. So uh, listen, if you want to submit uh, a question for the Q&A with Pastor Jason David, if you click up here, let me show you right there on the very top, it says connect. Click connect. And uh, you just fill this out. Put your name, email, subject, Q&A with Pastor Jason, and then your question right there. That's the easiest way to do it. And if you like what, uh, if you like the content um, and you, you feel led of the Lord uh, to come alongside the ministry and help support the work, can't tell you how much that helps. These are the two different ways. Donate is a single or monthly. So... Um, But without further ado, listen, uh, I really enjoyed my time there. I spoke about hope and how hope ties into the rapture, a couple of reasons why um, I believe, not I believe, biblically speaking, we will not be here for the capital T. There's just two reasons. I have a whole slew of other ones, a whole slew of other ones, but these have nothing to do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17, right? Um. And you'll see why in the talk. So listen, I don't want to take any more time away. Hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you're blessed. If you want to share it, by all means, please do. And I'll see you guys on the flip side of the talk. As we were doing worship, um, I'm thinking about something that I wanted to share with all of you before I get started. And you know what? I better start the timer because if I don't, we're going to be here for two hours. And I have no problem talking for two hours. (laughs) Don't encourage me. <laughs> All right, there we go. Or else we're not going to have any time for uh, questions and answers. You know what? Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you, Lord, to, to come before the throne of Almighty God. Lord, you are our hope. Lord, this world is crumbling. It is, it is falling apart day by day, minute by minute. But Lord, you are not. You are still on the throne. You are the great I am. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we worship you, Father God, because you are those things. 
We know you're coming back soon, and that encourages us and brings us hope. So go before us. I pray, Father God, that you would speak to us, Lord. And again, we look to you in all things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So as I was, before I get started, I got to say this. Um, I, I like word pictures. I love word pictures. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, we, we took two, two flights to get here. We wait in the airport. And I liken it to where we're at right now in Bible prophecy, end times Bible prophecy. A lot of us have been waiting in, at the airport, but we are now making our way to the flight. That's how close we are. The world around us is falling apart. It literally is. I took a two to three week fast from any news. I, I, th there's times where I get evil fatigue, and I'm sure that for a lot of you is the same thing. We look at the news and we wonder, where is God in all of this? When is the Lord going to come back for us? I wonder that. I, I, I do. I wonder that all the time. And as I was thinking about us, how close we are to the Lord coming to take his bride away, that should do something in each and every one of our lives. And while we're here waiting for the Lord, I, wanted, I, I asked the Lord, Lord, what should I, what do you want me to bring? What do you want me to talk about? And it was the same thing I felt the Holy Spirit tell me over and over. We need hope. You need to talk about hope. But not the way that the world hopes. Not the way that the world sees things. I want you to talk about hope found in Christ. We just sing a bunch of amazing songs. Worshiping the Lord before God Almighty about hope. And so what I wanted to talk about today, and hopefully I could get through the introduction before the time's over, but I need to tell you guys that hope is in, is in demand these days, big time, especially for us as believers. Uh, let me read a quote from Billy Graham. Billy Graham was quoted as saying this, the greatest need in our world today is the need for hope. We thrive on hope, we rejoice in hope, we witness in hope, knowing that experience works hope. Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord his God. That's from Psalm 146, verse 5. There is hope for the future. It is centered in the person of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and my sins. And he rose from the grave and is alive now. I have staked all that I am or ever hope to be on him. What a powerful quote. I love Dr. Billy Graham, Reverend Billy Graham. Say what you may, that man brought hope through scripture to millions of people around the world. And that excites me. Because I remember listening to Dr. Billy Graham when I was little, when I was in high school, and I still find myself listening to him and it's that same timeless hope over and over again. And we find that right in here. Every single one of us has that. Let me give you some definitions of hope. Number one, to cherish a desire with anticipation. Are we not all anticipating something in our lives? Every single one of us? 
to want something hoped or desired for to happen or be true. To happen or be true. To desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment and to expect with confidence. I like that word, to expect with confidence. But like I said before, hope is in short supply these days in the lives of many people. In the lives of many. I think you would agree with that. That, short, that hope is in short supply. And for us, the believer, we are being battered and bruised on every side. Every single side. And Satan does not play fair. He will kick us when we're down. And it seems like that instead of us as believers gaining ground, it seems that oftentimes the church is losing ground. We're not doing what God has called us to do, it seems like oftentimes. We are the body of Christ. We are His ambassadors, His representatives here on earth. And it seems like that the hope that we have is oftentimes misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. And my question to us, and I include myself in here as well, is where is our hope? Where are we each putting our hope? Is it in our government? That's laughable, right? <laughs> is it in a person that we may think can fix a broken system? And, and trust me, our system is very broken, not just here at home, but abroad in the entire world. Is it on a church leader? Are we looking to church leaders? Because let me tell you this, they are not infallible beings. Church leaders are human beings, sinful just like all of us are. They need the Lord. They need His grace. All of us do. Or is it in material wealth? Because that can be here one moment, and the very next day it could be gone. And if we put our hope in those things, our hope will be gone like that. But let me give you the, the, the biblical definition of hope. And I love this because according to Scripture, hope isn't something that we wish for. We should never use that word, I wish this. Because we'll never find that word in Scripture. Wish doesn't exist. It's not something that we wish could happen. Because hope for the believer is what? It is a confident expectation. Confident expectation. I want to repeat that again. Hope for the believer is a confident expectation. And hope is a fundamental component for every single one of us. If we don't have hope in our Christian lives, what happens? Things start to fall apart. Because much like Peter, you remember when, when Peter, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Lord, that you call me out there. I want to be out there with you. How many of us long for that? We want to have that deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to have that, that koinonia fellowship I've talked about. It's this really, really close-knit fellowship with Jesus Christ. We want that. So we say, Lord, call me out to you. And Peter stepped out on the water, and he was doing just fine. Aside from Jesus Christ, who else could say they walked on water just even a bit? Peter. And I love that because I look at a man like Peter and I see myself in Peter. Do you guys see yourselves in Peter? I do. You know why? Because Peter stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. 
all the time. I do that myself too, but Jesus, knowing that, calls him out. Think about this. You have our Savior walking on water, despite the waves, despite the storm, despite knowing that Peter would deny him, despite knowing that Peter was going to be used as an instrument from Satan when he said, I'll never let that happen to you, Lord. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Despite knowing that, because it hadn't happened yet, Jesus says, come out to me, Peter. Come out to me, Peter. And Peter steps out on that water, and as long as his focus was on Jesus Christ, his Lord and his Savior, he was doing just fine. His hope was that he would get to Jesus, would walk out to him. But what happened to Peter? He started looking to the left, and he started looking to the right, and he took his eyes off of his Savior, and he started to sink. Started to sink. Notice that Peter... Sorry if I get emotional, because I see myself in Peter a lot. Peter didn't just fall through the water. Jesus Christ doesn't allow us to fall through the water in our deepest, darkest times of need. He started, the Bible says, he started to sink. He was able to cry out for help to Jesus. Lord, help me. I'm sinking. And what did our Savior do? What did he do? He reached out and he picked him up. And he took him, and he rescued him. Why did you take your eyes off of me, Peter? And he asks us the same thing. Family, why do, we, why do we take our eyes off of our Savior? Why do we take our eyes off of the Lord, the one who rescues us, the one who comes to our every aid? Our hope is founded in Jesus Christ alone. That biblical hope can produce amazing things in our lives. Joy, peace, virtue, security. Such in our lives that are beyond human comprehension. And it's something that the world doesn't understand. It cannot get it. It has no idea why we Christians can have this kind of hope. How can you live in a world that is falling apart? How can you have hope when the finances all around you are crumbling, when you have nothing, how can you have hope when your health is failing, when your family's failing, when you've lost your job, when your kids have walked away from the Lord? The world asks those questions and they look at us because they have no idea how it is that we have that steadfast, rock-solid hope. They don't know that. And the hope for the believer is vastly, vastly different from that of the world. The world's hope is uncertain. And it involves temporal desires. I'm going to give you some examples. And, and we ourselves do this. I do this all the time. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope when I fly out to New Mexico, it's not freezing because I'm from Southern California. And look at me. Some of you are... You guys are in short sleeves. I'm a big wimp, but I got to tell you, I'm from SoCal and we have warm weather. So I was hoping it wouldn't be freezing here. I hope I get that job. I hope I get that raise. Here, here's one. I think all of us 
think, but oftentimes don't vocalize. I hope so-and-so becomes president, okay? So, um, but again, the outcome of all of that is uncertain. There is no sure certainty for that. And yes, they're sure. There's a level of selfishness involved in that because oftentimes we as humans, we think about us first. We don't put others before us. Remember, Jesus Christ said that the Son of Man came to what? To serve, not to be served. Okay? For us, the believer, that kind of hope is, it goes beyond the temporal. It goes beyond the, the uncertain. It goes beyond ambiguity. It lives in the realm of absolute certainty. You know why? Because it's not based on anything you've done. It's not based on anything I've done. It's based on everything that our Lord and Savior did. We could never do what He did. The work of Jesus Christ at the cross, and when He rose from the grave, it's done. To tell us die, it is finished. That is the work of certainty. He redeemed us from the curse of sin and gave us an inheritance beyond comprehension. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 71, verse 5. 71, verse 5. Did I give you guys enough time to get there? Let's go, let's go. 71, verse 5 says this. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Let's turn now. I'm going to have you turn to the New Testament to Romans 8. Let's exercise the fingers. Romans chapter 8. Verse 23 to 25. Romans 8. 23 to 25. I love... You know, I used to hear... Whether it was Pastor Chuck Smith. Whether it was Pastor David Hawking. So many pastors used to say, I love hearing the rustling of the pages of Scripture. And I, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I used to sit there. <laughs> but it's so true when you're up here and you hear that. It's so wonderful. This is what Romans 8, 23 to 25 says. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. How many of us want version 2.0 of our bodies? For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Family, are we not waiting for the Lord with perseverance? I hope we are marked by a life of perseverance. This is what Warren Wearsby said. In one of his commentaries, it was beautiful in regards to the first fruits. He said, the reason we groan is because we have experienced the first fruits of the Spirit. It's a foretaste of the glory to come. Just as the nation Israel tasted the first fruits of Canaan, when the spies return, and you can read about that in Numbers 13, so we Christians have tasted of the blessings of heaven through the ministry of the Spirit. Remember, at the day of Pentecost, we got the greatest gift ever. We got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And for those of us that are in Christ, we have the power, the, 
the, the, the power bed of the believer is the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of the living God dwelling in you and in me. This makes us want to see the Lord, receive a what? New body and live with Him and serve Him forever. We are waiting for the adoption, which is the redemption of the body when Christ returns. End quote. What hope am I going to talk about today if I get to it? That's the blessed hope. The blessed hope. That which each of us holds dear, so near and dear to our hearts. We expect it. Are we not family? Seriously, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, there is not a day that goes by that I wonder when I wake up. Is today the day when we will hear that shofar, that trumpet, and we will be gathered together with Him in the Shekinah glory, in the clouds. I don't know about you, but that brings so much hope to my life. Because I have a family, and many of you have families, you have young ones. And we know where the world is headed, and it is not a good place. Some will call us escapists, right? Have you heard that? Uh, you Christians, you guys are a bunch of escapists. I will own that title either till the Lord takes me in graduation or we go in the rapture. I, who, seriously, who in the right mind wants to stay in this world if we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back for us any moment? Who would want to do that? I remember when I was in college, in the college group, there was this one kid who said, I want to stay behind for the tribulation. I want to witness. I'm all, you go right ahead. You go right ahead. You can stay and you can witness. I'm out of here. You know why? Some people might say, wow, that's a bit harsh. We are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. Wherever you are is your sphere of influence for Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, whether you're young Older, younger, middle age, wherever it is, God has you where God wants you. I cannot be where you're at. You cannot be where I'm at. And we are all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So as we wait for him, I would encourage you to share Jesus. How should we be living as we wait for the blessed hope? Titus 2, 11 to 14, if you have your Bibles. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Let me read this because I'm running out of time. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lusts, we should live what? Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Let me go and put a note there. The Lord never says to live perfectly. None of us are perfect. We're never going to be perfect till we get to heaven. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might, what, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? Again, remember that for those of us, our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ and the best is yet to come. I love it because I've oftentimes heard it said that for the believer, this earth, whatever you're going through, is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. All right? And even Pastor Jack Hibbs, that's the church we go to, 
And in the summer in Chino Hills, it is like got to be the armpit of California. It is hotter than Hades there. It literally can get to like 110 degrees. It is hot. And Pastor Jack will oftentimes say, listen, for the believer, this is as hot as it's ever going to get. As hot as it's ever going to get. And I love that because I could relate to that. We do see unimaginable suffering around us. Would you agree? October 7th, some of the reports that came out of Israel on October 7th, that is straight up demonic. And the suffering that so many of those people that went through, Jewish people, Israelis that suffered, and from other countries too, I might add, from the Philippines, Canada, there were people that got taken from other countries. The reports that came out, I couldn't stomach listening to some of that stuff because that was literally straight out of the pit of hell. And what that reminded me of for one minute, it reminded me of that for that instance, there was a tear in the veil between the physical and the spiritual. And we saw a glimpse of what's to come on the flip side of the rapture. And trust me, folks, you don't want to be here. None of us do. None of us do. And some of us are experiencing some pain and grief and difficulty beyond any understanding in whatever circumstance that may be. But listen, I want to encourage you that our hope is not uncertain. It is certain. It is deeply rooted in the sure foundation of our Lord's trustworthiness and faithfulness. And I will tell you this. God said it's going to happen you could take it to the bank. It will happen. So think about this. We have about 15 minutes left. And I want you to think about this to encourage you. If roughly about 80% of all prophecies found in Scripture have come to pass, don't you think that we could all put our certain hope Again, absolute certainty that the remaining 20% are going to come to pass just as Jesus Christ said they would. Again, He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He will reach down in your deepest, darkest time of need and pull you out. Just like He did Peter. We are no less than Peter. Every single one of us. And He loves each and every one of us. And listen, that brings us to the hope that we have in the rapture. Now, I had, uh, I had this conversation with someone that I know who will remain uh, anonymous. And uh, he came to my house and saw the books that I have. And a lot of the books I have are on Bible prophecy. Surprise, right? And he said, oh, a lot of those are on Bible prophecy. Do you uh, believe in the rapture? Absolutely, 100%. He's a believer, loves the Lord. He's all, where do you stand on that? I said, Lord's coming any minute. So you believe in a preacher rapture, 100%. He's all, you know how I feel about that. I said, absolutely. You're a pan-tribber. You believe that everything's just going to pan out. And of course, everything is just going to work out exactly the way the Lord laid it out in Scripture. And he said, but aside from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right? We all go to the rapture passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17. Aside from that, he said, where, where do you see the rapture? 
How can you find assurance that the rapture is going to happen before all H-E double hockey sticks breaks loose on earth? And we had a wonderful conversation. After he left, I got to thinking. I talked to Pastor Jason too about this. And I started writing things down in Scripture. Where could we find these? Inferences, symbolic parallels. And they're all over it, including in the Old Testament. Including in the Old Testament. But I can't list off the 20 that I came up with. So I'm going to give you two. Two of the best ones that I think are great. They're heavy hitters. And again, that brings me hope. But I have to tell you that the, the doctrine of imminency, the rapture is under a lot of attack these days. A lot. It's been reviled, slandered, slighted, ridiculed, marginalized, or criticized. I mentioned that earlier. And unfortunately, instead of bringing unity within the body of Christ, it's brought division in the body of Christ. And let me say this, that Jesus never intended end times Bible prophecy to be something to bring division in the body of Christ or to breed fear and anxiety in the body of Christ. Sure, if you're not in Christ, I'd be scared right now. I would be shaking in my boots. But for those of us that are sealed in Christ Jesus, that has got to be the most encouraging thing that we read in Scripture. One of. And there's all kinds of views. There's even one called the partial rapture theory. And really quick, the partial rapture theory, I remember hearing about this from Dr. David Hawking years ago. And the partial rapture theory essentially says that only spirit-filled believers are going to go up in the rapture. Only spirit-filled believers. Carnal believers, guess what? You're stuck. You're out. Which I think is hilarious. And he called it like a Protestant purgatory type, where you almost have to pay for your sins here on earth before you could go to heaven. And that's not found anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. Christ redeemed us. He did everything we could never do. Period. End of story. So where does that leave us? Let me tell you this. The rapture of the church is going to happen no sooner, no later, than when Jesus Christ says it's going to happen. Our Lord and Savior is going to come at the perfect time. In your life, in my life, Jesus is never early. He is never late. He is always on time. Because God's economy works very different than ours down here. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I need to remember that because I oftentimes forget that. Lord, where are you? You're late. And he goes, no, I'm not. You're impatient. Between, I've said this before, between the lightning and the thunder, which is where we're at right now, there's a whole lot of impatience happening in the body of Christ. And I can understand why. So let me see if I can crank, crank through these. Number one, reason number one. Mutual exclusivity. That's a big word. I don't really understand it, but it sounded cool. So I put it in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exclusivity, I think all you guys understand what it means to be exclusive. I don't really want to take much time to explain that because we don't have time. But mutual exclusivity when it comes to the church essentially means this. Right now we are in the church age. We're in the church age. 
As soon as the rapture happens, the church age is gone. The Holy Spirit working through the church presently is not going to be like that anymore. It will cease. The Lord and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean He's not going to be gone. He is everywhere. God is everywhere. That just means that the work that the Holy Spirit does through the church, through the body of Christ, is going to cease the minute that the rapture happens. Our responsibility right now, like I said earlier, it's to do what? The Great Commission. The Bible says that we are to go what? Share the gospel. Baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these are two words we often forget in verse 19. Teaching them to observe. Do we do that? No. I think those two words are unfortunately missed a lot. So right now we're in the church age, and it is our responsibility to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once the rapture happens, the baton, okay, like in a race, track and field, you've got the runner with the baton. We are now running with the baton of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are very close to the runner when they start taking off, and you've got to have that handoff. We're very close to that family. And as soon as we hear that trumpet and we're out, that baton gets passed to Israel. The responsibility for the gospel goes to Israel now. The focus shifts completely to Israel. Because Daniel's 70th week is for Israel's salvation. And so you cannot have two bodies sharing the same space. There has to be mutual exclusivity. Right now, the responsibility is for the church, for you and I. That's why I want to encourage you, get busy. You don't want to stand before God Almighty and Him showing you, going, look at what you could have done for me if you would have lived a life totally sold out to me. I don't care if you're young, if you're old, again, if you are middle age. The responsibility of sharing Jesus Christ is for everybody. And when you stand before God Almighty, are you going to cry? No joke. Are you going to shed tears? Because our Lord and Savior is going to go, Pablo, look at what you could have done, my son, had you trusted me, trusted in what I had you do, but you chose not to. And I believe that will be the only moment in heaven where there are going to be tears because we're going to hope, we're going to look back and go, why didn't I do that? I cared too much about what my co-workers thought. I cared too much about my inadequacies, my shortcomings, the things I can't do. But let me tell you that God never calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. Okay? And that's for each and every one of you, wherever you're at. So right now, we are in the church age. And as soon as that happens... It goes to the 144,000 evangelists, Messianic Jews. The Bible calls them the first fruits. First fruits is the first fruits. It is the first thing to come. We read about the first fruits of Achaia, those that came to Christ at that time. The 144,000 are going to do what we as a church were inept or unable to do 
And God gave us over 2,000 years of church history to do it. And we've just been going, eh, whatever, I, I've got this, I've got to do, I've got that, I've got to do. Everybody has responsibilities, every single one of us. But God's calling in our lives trumps everything. Let me tell you what the priorities are. God number one in your life. If you're married, your spouse is priority number two. Not your kids. Number two. Number three are your kids. And number four is ministry or work at all. Everything after. If any one of those priorities are messed up in your life, everything else is going to be messed up in your life. You can't do things out of order. You can't get in your car and expect it to put in drive if you don't start the car first. There are priorities. So again, we have this mutual exclusivity. You can't have two bodies at the same time. It can't happen. It won't happen. It is not in scripture. So it tells me that the church has to be gone. Because the responsibility of the gospel is going to go to the 144,000, the two witnesses, and the angel who will be proclaiming the, the gospel in the air to everybody. They will physically see him. So let's get busy doing the work of God. And I know I'm going fast. I'm leaving a lot out. And I, I hope that you would just forgive me at, uh, for, for leaving so much information out. But I want to get through this because the next one is the ticket. And that is the presence of 24 elders, blood-bought elders in heaven all throughout Daniel's 70th week. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is quintessential to our understanding that we will not experience the tribulation, capital T, or Daniel's 70th week. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. The presence of 24 elders in heaven all throughout the tribulation, these are elders. They are not called priests. And elders is the term used for the leaders in the local church. By the way, it's used 67 times in the New Testament. 67 times. If you don't mind, turn to Revelation 4.4. We don't have a whole lot of time. So I'm going to start reading it while you get there and exercise those fingers. Revelation 4.4. 4. And this is what it says. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. Clothed in white robes. Don't miss that. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. Don't miss that. By the way, the 24 elders in chapter 5, when you go over one more chapter, they're also mentioned five times. Don't be tempted to just shrug this off. This is of utmost importance. The presence of the elders in heaven. This is what John Piper had to say. We should note that the elders have been, quote, set as overseers, overseers by the Holy Spirit. This fills out the picture somewhat when we add to it the fact that Paul, what? Appointed elders in all the churches. Again, remember that they are the local representatives of the church. And we got to remember that we need to make a distinction between the elders, the angels, and the creatures we read about. They're different. They are not the same, even though a lot of people want to bunch them up. Remember that Angels, nowhere in Scripture, wear crowns. 
Nowhere in Scripture you will find an angel wearing a crown. And nowhere in Scripture are angels promised white garments for overcoming. Nowhere in Scripture. There is a big distinction between the angels and the elders. Angels don't age. The term elders is because what? Older, wiser. That's why we appoint them. Hey, no offense to you teenagers out there. I was a teenager once. The last person I'd want to see as an elder of a church are teenagers. That'd be crazy. No, we don't do that. It wouldn't apply to the angels. Again, they're clothed in white. They're not blood-bought, redeemed believers who are given white garments to wear as we are promised. And we see that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 and 19, verse 8. You guys can look at those. But the elders are also seeing they're wearing crowns. And we as believers are promised what? Victor's crowns. Victor's crowns. Sure, we're going to take our crowns or we're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus. They're going to be no good to us. The only one who's really going to wear the diadem, that's a beautiful crown, not a Stephanos. Stephanos is a dinky crown, like the little laurel wreath ones. Jesus Christ is going to be wearing the diadem, not us. He did all the work. And angels, again, are never seen wearing crowns in Scripture. They're never promised crowns. They're not blood-bought. So we've got to make sure that we make that distinction. And really quick, as I, as I go through this, the word elder in the Greek is presbyteros. And you guys are probably, when I read that, I'm, that sounds like some medication you take for like bronchitis or something, but um, it comes here. The word Presbyterian, and we just went through, a, a, off the 25, there was a Presbyterian hospital, I want to say. Yeah. Every time I see the word Presbyterian now, this is exactly what I think of. Great. Let me share with you the etymology. 1640, Presbyteros in reference to the Scottish church, governed by who? Elders, not bishops, not like the Catholic Church, 1640. The word is from presbyter, which means an elder in a church. The late Latin presbyter and elder is from the Greek, again, presbyteros, which means one that presides over the assemblies or congregations. Don't miss that. It is a representative of the local church. On Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, they appointed what? Elders in every church. And again, like Dr. David Hawking said, quote, they, the elders, were a plurality of leadership to manage the affairs of the church. And so we can't fall into the trap of trying to divide the 24 elders into two groups and 12 and 12 because we got the names of 12 on the foundations, we've got the names of 12s on the gates. Scripture doesn't tell us to do that. Listen, I'm sure all of you know the golden rule of Bible interpretation. If the text makes plain sense, seek no other sense lest you come up with nonsense. So if the Bible says tw a 24, it's 24. We've established their elders. I gotta hurry up, but I don't want you guys to miss this. Where do we see the number 24 in Scripture? Because we want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Don't take my word for it. I would encourage you to go back home and do a study on it. And the only place we find it is in 
1 Chronicles chapter 24, when it's talking about the divisions of the priests, the Levitical priests, and 1 Chronicles chapter 25, where we have the assignments of the musicians. Each Levitical priest served in groups of two. Your duty, if you were a priest, was two weeks. And then the next one would come in for two weeks. Two a month. Two times twelve. That's twenty-four. That was the division in First Chronicles. The Levitical priests. And in First Chronicles 25, again, I know this probably sounds like, oh, this is so boring. But we need to understand this. Because if we have, and I know it's a for sure, 24 blood-bought elders all throughout the time of the tribulation. Well, guess what, family? We're not going to be here because they are the representatives of the church. Of the church. Please go to 1 Chronicles 24 and 25. Study it. Study that. The different divisions. That's where you're going to find 24. They can't represent Israel. They cannot represent Israel because Israel had not finished. When John is in chapter 4, when John is in the throne room of heaven, guess what? We hadn't had the whole tribulation yet. It cannot be Israel as a redeemed body. They cannot represent Israel. They cannot represent the multitude we see in chapter 7. Because of the same reason. Again, it's got to make sense. Don't seek any other sense in scripture. Because you're going to come up with nonsense. Let the text speak for itself. And so, my question to you is, and I know I really, really went, I, I, I went super fast. I didn't even talk about the new song that they sing. That's huge. The new song that the elders sing in chapter 5. Let me read to you. Don't turn there. It's in Revelation 5, 8 to 10. This is the new song. This is the crowning proof that the 24 elders represent the church. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, distinction, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp of golden, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, this is to Jesus, and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. Who's going to come back to rule and reign with Jesus Christ on steeds? Us, the church, the redeemed of the Lord, blood-bought believers. Blood-bought believers. I don't have time to get into, unfortunately, the fact that we had a lot of post-trib translators from the original Greek into, let's say, uh, another language, Latin, to primary translation. Many of them were post-tribbers. And in a lot of translations, they changed that word from the King James Version of us to them. And it changes everything. Everything. And there's a little footnote in a lot of Bibles that say that. A lot of little foot, a lot of footnotes that say that. Them. Most ancient authorities read them. That is a lie. If you have that footnote in your Bible. Because if you look at all of the different translations, and there are many pastors trustworthy that have done the work, thousands of us, 
overwhelmingly, it says us, not them. We family are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. And the presence of 24 elders, blood-bought elders in heaven as the representatives of the church are the crowning proof that you and I will not be here for the seven-year tribulation. That, to me, is hope beyond any. Because if we look at the world, I'm going to close right now. If we look at the world around us, I think every one of us would agree that our, let's, let's, let's bring it back here, our nation is in dire trouble. In dire trouble. Would you agree? Economically, morally, I mean, I don't want to get into it right now because I know I can and I shouldn't. But morally, we are in the dumps. And the only one that can rescue us from this moral morass that we're in is none other than Jesus Christ. Period. That is it. And so what should we be doing? I'm going to use an old term that you heard. Remember Occupy Wall Street? It's funny how they take these terms and they, they pervert them. What should we be doing? We should be occupying for the Lord. We should be going about the Lord's business. I, trust me, I know it's easy to go, whatever. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yep, sure is. You don't want to end up on the wrong side. You don't want to end up on the wrong side. And so when I look at this, the fact that we will not be here, that encourages me. When I look at the fact that Jesus Christ in my most, in my times of need, will reach down, despite knowing what a stinker I am, that is hope for me. That is encouraging to me. Jesus Christ knows exactly what you all are going through. I don't, but He does. He knows what you're going through in your life, financially, physically, emotionally. He knows. And I want to encourage you to lay it at the foot of the cross and know that you can have certain hope in Jesus Christ alone. Alone. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. What a beautiful hope we have in you. You are awesome. Lord, you are truly awesome. There's that song that says, you are awesome in this place, holy God. And you really are. Thank you, Father God, for the assurance that we have in you. And I, I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, who hasn't called on the name of the Lord to be saved, that they would do it. That they wouldn't put it off. Because, Father God, tomorrow's promise to no man. And so, Lord, I pray as you say in your word, today is the day of salvation. Father God, I pray that you would give us a quickening in our heart to go out into a world that is dying and needs a living Jesus. And we are the ones that can bring that living Jesus through your word and through example to so many, including our own families. I pray, Father God, that you would come quickly as we know you are because this world is going darker and darker. But Lord, we are the light of this world, which a city on a hill cannot be hid, Lord. 
So I pray, Father God, go before everybody here. I pray for them that you would meet each and every one of their needs. You know them. And I pray that you would give them an extra dose of your spirit, Lord, as we go through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that was it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys were blessed. Um, Listen, uh, if you get anything out of this is the fact that our hope is in Jesus Christ. The world has its hope, which is hopeless, but we have a biblical hope. We have a foundational hope, which is, again, in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that hope, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to call on the name of the Lord right now, wherever you're at, whether you're listening in the car or at home or at college, wherever it is you're listening. I want to encourage you that there is no place so low that you can go that Christ cannot redeem you. And all you have to do is cry out, call out to the Lord. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Uh, The Word of God also says that our lives are like a vapor. They're here one minute, gone the next. Life goes like that. So again, tomorrow is guaranteed to no man. So call on the name of the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. If you feel the Holy Spirit urging you, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't put it off. Call on the name of the Lord. Listen, it's 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 a simple prayer. Admit you're a sinner. Why do we have to do that? Well, because we've sinned against a holy and righteous and just God. And believe that he died and he rose on the third day for you, for me, for our sins. He bled on that cross. He was buried, but he rose on the third day. What a beautiful thing. He is alive and he is well. And then commit your life to the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved and confess him as your Lord and Savior. It's a simple prayer. Just call out to him. Sometimes it's, it's as simple as help me, Jesus. Come into my life. I'm a sinner. I want you in my life. I surrender to you. However it is, call on the name of the Lord. Listen, I hope you were encouraged. I hope you were blessed. Remember to get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you. Keep looking up because our redemption draws near. Hope you guys enjoyed once again. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you guys. See ya.